Welcome here this morning. It's uh, always a pleasure to uh, be together with God's people on this day and uh, open God's Word, read and see what He has to say in uh, this passage that we're looking at today, see what He has to say in our lives for our church, for our time. And so as we open God's Word uh, today to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we pause in our week on a Sunday morning to join together and worship you. To bow down before you and give you honor. To declare that you are our God and there is none like you. We praise you for what you have done for us in Christ. That you have redeemed us from our sins, that you have brought us into right uh, relationship with yourself through Jesus. Father, this morning as we look at a passage about how we are to function together as a body, as uh, those who have been redeemed together, I pray that you would help us to uh, focus in and see what is here in this text Help us to hear from you by your Holy Spirit. Be honored today, we pray. Be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. When I played baseball many moons ago, I always thought I should be the shortstop because shortstop is clearly the best position. And uh, so that's what I wanted to do, and, and most of the time I did that until uh, 
other people grew faster than me and whatnot, and so I ended up playing second base, and I thought, oh, I've been demoted. I've been demoted to second base. And, uh, and so, uh, but as I played second base longer and longer, for uh, a few years in a row, I began to see that actually I was better suited for second base than I was for shortstop. And more than that, I began to see that I really loved playing second base, that uh, it was fulfilling, it was exciting, it's an interesting position, and uh, that's what I love to do. And once I finally submitted to where the coach had placed me, I began to flourish, and I began to be a better contributor to our team when I finally accepted the fact that actually second base is the superior position. And so... Our, our passage today is not talking about sports, and it's not talking certainly about baseball or anything like that, but uh, it is talking about the body of Christ and how we have been put together, that we have been <clears throat> redeemed and redeemed to be together, that we don't just join together because we're a, a club and, hey, we thought this would be a good idea, that actually God has saved us and placed us into the church. He's designed the church in particular ways. And today we want to uh, look at that. We uh, recognize uh, off the bat, first of all, that I have too many pages of notes. So <laughs> I'm going to endeavor to uh, slim it down a little bit more. We might be here for a while if I stuck to everything in the notes. The first thing I want to notice is that chapter 12 comes after chapter 11, which concludes the doctrinal positions, the doctrinal statements and development that, uh, that Paul has been doing for all of that time, that having spelled out the gospel in great detail, having, having drawn that to a conclusion, now he begins to talk about uh, how we are to live in light of that gospel. In light of those spiritual truths, now how do we live our lives? Having established those very firmly, having developed that, there's to be implication for our lives. And we looked last week at uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 where, where we were told to be renewed, be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And we talked about thinking about the gospel. We talked about reflecting upon what has been done for us, about how it is that we have relationship with God. It's not because we accomplished it. It's not because we deserved it. It's not because of something that we had done or some merit of our own, but it was accomplished for us by Christ. And thus we've been brought into relationship with Him. And so we are to fix our minds on those gospel truths. We're to think about how it is that we have been redeemed, how it is that we can call God our Father. And what I find interesting in uh, this beginning of uh, this next paragraph here is how often he refers to thinking. He said we're to be renewed, transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then he goes on to talk about how we think. That he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And uh, that the concept of thinking and how we think about ourselves is kind of where he is turning to now, and particularly not just how we think about ourselves in our own prayer closet or in our own lives, but how we think of ourselves in relation to other Christians. And so that's what he's moving towards in this next paragraph. And so first, I want to note what has been given, that Paul himself actually is speaking from grace. This is Paul 
We looked at Paul when we started Romans, and we talked about how uh, he was exceptional uh, even amongst the rabbis, that basically his education would kind of be the equivalent of two PhDs, and he accomplished that, achieved that at a very young age, that he was exceptional. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was climbing the ladder. This is an exceptional man. Well, of course, you remember the Damascus Road experience and how, how God brings him to himself, that he had been a persecutor of the church, and then Christ comes to him and says, now you're going to be my servant, and you will suffer many things, just like you caused others to suffer many things. Paul was an exceptional man. He was an exceptional mind and an exceptional missionary And so, Paul should be able to write and say, Hi, I'm Paul, the Apostle. Do this. And that that would be enough. Is Paul the Apostle, after all? That's not what he does. He says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone. What I have, Paul says, I received. The, The mind to be able to think the way he could think. It was, a, it was a gift. The upbringing that he had, knowing the Scripture the way he knew the Scripture, that was a gift from God. He didn't do that to himself. He didn't give that to himself. That was from God. And this salvation that he has, being at peace with God, was certainly not something that he had accomplished. It was given to him by grace. That God had actually taken him from being an enemy of God's people, and thus an enemy of God and turned him into Paul the Apostle, a child of God. And it's from that place that Paul speaks, that he himself is actually exemplifying for us how we are to think. Paul could write and say, hi, it's Paul the Apostle, do this. But that's not what he does. And that's not what he wants us to do. And that's not what God wants us to do. He says, by the grace given to me, I speak. By the grace that I received from God, I give instruction. I teach. I exhort you based upon what God has given to me. Thinking about the gospel, focusing our mind on the gospel, being transformed by the renewing of our mind in verse 2 that we talked about last week, prevents us from thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. A right understanding of the gospel will not allow us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Because the gospel debases us. The gospel makes it clear that we didn't have what it take, what it took. That we could not reconcile ourselves to God. We required a gift from God. We required God's condescension. We required God's grace in order for us to even be made His children. A right understanding of the gospel prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. And so Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What we have, we have as a gift. We have by God's grace. 
Paul himself is speaking from grace and he's speaking about our allotted faith. Our allotted faith according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned to each Christian a certain measure or allotment of faith. In other words, he has gifted and he has prepared and qualified each Christian in different ways, giving us different roles, giving us different positions, giving us different strengths and different weaknesses. He has determined those those things that we excel at and those things where we need others to step in and pick up the slack for us that God has determined that, that that is our allotted faith. He's not talking here about how much faith you have, that God has given you a little faith and you a lot of faith. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the kind of faith that results in salvation. I think he's talking about this allotment, this where he has positioned us in the church, where he has positioned us in life. That's a gift from God that he's given to us to function in this way, to have this gifting, to have these strengths and to have these weaknesses, that is from God. That is a part of the allotted faith that is ours. And he says, we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we should, but instead to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sober judgment about ourselves. We are to take an assessment. We are to understand what we have, that it is from God, and what it is that we have from God. So what does that mean, a sober judgment? We're to think of ourselves with sober judgment. We're to look at our faith with sober judgment. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we make an assessment of our gifting and our talents, that we will not overestimate or overstate our abilities and our gifts. We don't overassess. We don't look and say, well... You know, I I can sing. I do fine when I'm singing right over there. So I should probably come up here and sing for you all also. Right? That's a threat, by the way. It it would be like me saying, well, you know, I can carry a tune for, you know, two and a half seconds. So I'm going to lead worship now. I'm not going to lead worship now unless the Lord does something different. Okay? (laughs) But that, that that would be an overestimation of my abilities. Right For me to say, yeah, I can sing with the congregation, therefore I can also lead the congregation in singing, that would be to overestimate my abilities. God has designed each one of us differently, and He's gifted us to fit roles that are very different from one another. They're all vitally important, but they're different roles and different giftings that God has given us. And so having sober judgment about what God has and has not designed me for will keep me from assuming roles and responsibilities that I should not like taking the microphone and leading in worship. On the other hand, sober judgment also won't allow us to underestimate the way God has blessed us. We don't get to be falsely humble. Oh, I, I could never do that. I, I, I could never do that. I, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I can't serve the Lord that way. A sober assessment, an honest assessment, a right assessment looks and says, God has given me these abilities And these inabilities, there's nothing prideful in recognizing how God has gifted us. But it would be wrong for us to neglect the gift that we do have. Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, 
do not neglect the gift that you have. God has given you this gift. So use it. He, he gave it to you, not just so you could, you know, like put it on the shelf and admire it. Or think, well, you know, had I, had I you know, chosen to pursue that, I really could have done some things. He gave us the gifts that he's given us to use them. And to use them for his glory. And so a sober assessment doesn't overestimate how God has gifted us, but nor does it underestimate, nor is it falsely humble. It's a sober assessment. It's an honest assessment of what God has given us and the ways He has designed us because God has designed each one of us as Christians, gifted each one of us as Christians with a particular set of skills and abilities and giftings. And He did so not just for us to admire on the shelf, but to serve the body. And so we value each of you. There's not, there's not one of us that's, that's really the church. or We're, we're valuable, like, like the parts of your body are valuable. We need each of us. We need the gifts that God has given to each one of us. And this is one of the reasons that we, in recent years, have begun to pursue membership a little bit more and, uh, and push for that a little bit more because we're trying, to, we're trying to recognize the fact that God has not just saved us individually and then we can just congregate here or there and form a club if we want to, but in fact that God has saved us individually to be a part of a body together, functioning together and serving one another. And I confess that in our effort at, at uh, pursuing and, and pushing for membership a little bit more, we've been inconsistent with that. And uh, particularly with COVID and, and all that kind of stuff, we haven't recognized some new members uh, over the last couple of years. And most recently was, was the Beach family. And uh, they're, they're our, our newest members, and, and we didn't welcome them. We should have, we should have done that. We should, I'm not going to do that now and make them come forward and, and all of that. You're welcome. <laughs> But we should do that because we value the members God has given us, just like I value the members of my body. We are, in fact, members of one another. If we keep reading in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We are different parts, but of equal value. We all have a value, a contribution to the body, to what God is doing here at Parkside. And some of that contribution is more visible. Some of it is, is more uh, recognized, let's say. But it's all essential. If it weren't essential, God would not have gifted you that way. I, I often talk about, you know, pinkies. And, uh, and, and what use are they? I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of other fingers, and the pinky is the little one, right? But try to hold a hammer without a pinky. Try to climb a rope without a pinky. It's a, it's a handy little piece, right? It doesn't seem all that valuable or your pinky toe or something. But God has put it there on purpose. And you can hold a hammer, and you can climb a rope, and you can, you can get a better grip because you have pinkies than if you lost that pinky. Well, there are some of us in this room who are pinkies. And we think, ah, oh, I'm just a little guy. Kind of always, you know, hanging out here on the edge. I don't really fit with the others. And God has put you there on purpose. He has put you here on purpose. We are 
different parts, but we are of equal value. Secondly, we have different parts and different functions. We don't all function the same way. We have different functions according to the way God has designed us, the way He has put us together. The many members do not all have the same function. What if, what if everyone uh, decided to be a singer? Literally everyone decided to be a singer and no one wanted to be in the sound room. Okay, that, that would be a bummer. What if, uh, what if everyone was a leader, but no one was willing to follow or do the actual tasks? If everyone were a leader, that would cause problems. What if everyone evangelized nonstop, but there was no one to teach these new Christians how to be Christians? You would have a mess. I remember being on a short-term missions trip to Russia and hearing an argument between two missionaries because of this. One was an evangelist, and he, he would travel to Russia, and he would do evangelistic uh, efforts the whole time he was there. And then he ended up moving there and, and, and being involved in missions uh, as an evangelist there. Well, the person he was talking with was a teacher. And the teacher was saying, well, you've got all these Christians who don't know anything, and they've come to Christ, and they need to be discipled, and we need to take time and invest in these Christians, and we've got to, we've got to slow down and work with these that we have. Well, this, these were two different people with two different functions, two different giftings, and they were actually butting heads because they couldn't see that you have to have evangelists, and you have to have teachers. You must have both. But instead, they were trying to solve that problem by causing the one to be the other. We need evangelists and teachers. We need singers and sound people. We need leaders and workers. We're all essential, playing the roles that God has given us. And then thirdly, well, before we get to the third point, uh, there's a point of application right here. Because of what's gone on with COVID over the last year, because of people isolating because of fear of the disease or other things that go along with that. There are some who feel sidelined. They've been at home for a year. And they, they kind of look longingly maybe at, at, at those of us who are joined together and they say, oh, I'd, I'd kind of like to be over there with them. I used to do ministry when I'd go there and I'd teach Sunday school or I would do this thing. And, and now for a year I've been on the shelf. My encouragement at this point, is that you, you haven't been shelved. You haven't been shelved. You can still pray. You can minister. You can be involved in the ministry that's going on here in Parkside, even if you're not here physically. There's nothing to stop you from praying. There's nothing to stop you from lifting the requests that we have to God. Why not, why not redouble your prayer efforts? Why not uh, make phone calls and contact with people? to check in on them. Why not minister in a different way? Because you are needed as a minister. God has put you here as that, even in our COVID times. Thirdly, different parts and mutual dependency. We are members of one another. Members of one another. That means more than just we each have different gifts placed next to each other. We... we we do different things, we function in different ways, and we have a mutual dependency upon one another. If my mouth is parched, and I want to drink something, I lean on my hand to reach out and grab a glass and take a drink. I need my hand to help me out. 
My, my parched mouth doesn't just, you know, stick my head in the water. <laughs> Even that requires my neck, right? We, we have a dependency that we, we do this all the time. When we walk, we're relying on our feet to get there and our inner ear to keep us balanced and all kinds of other things. We have a dependency upon one another. We have, in a manner of speaking, a, an obligation to one another to function the way God has gifted us to function. It's not just my gift that I have and I can decide, well, you know, this week or this year, or this decade, I'm going to do something else instead of what God has functioned me to do. And if, if we were to say that, where would the body be? If the singers decided to stop singing, if the sound guys decided, you know, you figure it out. <laughs> you don't like it when, it when it mutes when it's not supposed to or it does something weird. You figure it out. What if they let, did that? Well, that would leave Stephen back there, you know, pulling wires and things and we'd be in real trouble. That's because I'm not even allowed back there anymore. I used to turn the knobs and Mark would get frustrated with me and I'm not supposed to do that, right? Where would we be if the social people among us stopped being social? Well, we'd, you know, we'd, we would hurt. Where would we be if the, the wise older people just decided, you know what, these young people, they've got it all figured out. Let's, let's let them crash and burn. We would crash and burn. We need the wise older people to give us their wisdom. We need the, uh, the practical people among us who, who see a problem, a, a physical problem. They say, well, just take these steps and you can solve that. We need those people because if it were left to people like me, we would have troubles, okay? We need practical people. We need servants, people who will go and serve other people. If they stop serving, where would we be? If the givers stopped giving, where would we be? If the teachers stopped teaching or the encouragers stopped encouraging, where would, where would the congregation be? God has gifted us so that the body can be blessed. And when one among us or many among us decides not to exercise the gifts that God has given us, it doesn't just hurt you. It affects the whole body. God's given us the gifts that He has so that we can serve one another, so that we can serve the body of Christ. He's the one who put together the team. He's the one who put us on second base to function the way a second baseman should function. Thirdly, let's move on to verses 6 through 8, the appropriate use of gifts. That's the concept that God has given gifts. He's given spiritual gifts. And by the way, I'm not going to go into great detail on what these spiritual gifts are. Uh, tonight's message at Evening Church is going to be more on that topic. So if you want to learn more about uh, uh, spiritual gifts and, and that, then uh, come tonight at 6 o'clock. But that's, the, that's the, the concept that God has gifted us. He hasn't just gathered a team. He's actually given us the gifts that we have. And He's done so on purpose so that we can serve Him, so that we can serve one another. And that requires an appropriate use of these gifts. And so we read in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he's going to go through and talk about these different gifts. But first, I want to point out these different gifts are by God's design. By God's design. I wonder how many of us are happy with the way God has gifted us. You individually, are you happy with the way God has gifted you? Or would you rather trade with your neighbor? 
Do you find yourself wondering, why did you give me this gift that no one seems to need or that I, you know, it doesn't seem like the most important thing going and that's what you gave me? Have we had those thoughts? I think, sometimes I think Christians are discontent with the way God has designed them, with the role in the church that he's decided is best. Like I was discontent with playing second. I felt like it was a demotion. Shortstop's the real position. Second base is shortstop junior. I don't want to be shortstop junior. That's how I felt it was. And I think some Christians look at that the same way, but that really shouldn't be the case. God who loves you, God who designed his church, designed you the way he did for your good and for his own glory and for the good of the Christians around you. He's given you those gifts, that design. Maybe you're the other way. Maybe you really value the way God has blessed you. And you think that it's the best way. And you think that everyone else should be like you. That their, their weakness in that area is a weakness in their Christian life. And you should be strong like I am in that area. You should be able to do this thing or, or, or function the way I function. You should be more like me and then you'll be a more mature Christian. Right? Some of us have that kind of notion. Some of us really don't like the gifting we have. And some of us think the gifting we have is, is the A game. This is the real deal. This is the way you ought to be as well. Maybe, maybe you're very mercy-minded. You're, you're uh, always thinking about the needs of other people. And you're serving them. And you look at those task-oriented people who are always getting things done, but it seems like a task, and it seems like a job, and it seems different. You look at them and you think, you need to stop and come over here and give mercy with me for a while. You need to be more like me. Maybe you're very practically minded and, and you're, a, you're, a, you're a get it done kind of person. And, and you look at people who are more philosophically minded who seem to just sit around and think about stuff or uh, talk about stuff and, and you think, you know, you need to stop doing that. You need to become join my team and be more like me. And so we need to keep in mind, all of us need to keep in mind that God is the one who has given us the gifts that we have and, and we should rejoice in the gifts that we have and we should function according to those gifts not not envying someone else for their gifts but also not looking down on them because they're gifted differently than you we don't want to look down on the way god has designed his church that as christians he has given each one of us different gifting to function the way he wants it to function So I think there's a point of application there for us. We shouldn't expect those God has gifted differently than us to be like us. Nor should we envy their gifting as though it would, would be better if we were like them. God has designed us. This is God's gifting. And so we have, uh, we are, have these different gifts and we have them by God's design. And we are to use our gifts as God intended. Let's keep reading in our passage. We have these uh, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. We are to use our gifts as God 
has intended them. Now, he, he lists these uh, several gifts, and I don't think he lists them in in any particular logical order necessarily that I, that I can identify, nor is this list uh, an exhaustive list, as if these are all the spiritual gifts that exist are the ones found right here in these verses. This is a sampling to give us an idea of the ways, the kind of the different ways that God gifts His people. And there are different exhortations He gives with each of these different gifts. So first of all, the first several, he talks about um, using them in the appropriate sphere. He says you are to function with your gifting in this appropriate sphere, in the way God has designed you to do it. He says, first of all, he talks about prophecy. We are to uh, use these gifts according to the grace given to us, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. In proportion to our faith. There this prophecy, this, this idea of prophecy, there seems to be a, a connection here, a, an aspect of it, a component that's revelatory, where it's God revealing things to us. And during the New Testament era, before the, before the New Testament itself was completed, the apostles had been sent out with prophetic gifts and the, uh, a position of authority from Christ to minister. So the apostles themselves were prophets. They had the gift of prophecy to reveal from God. That's what we have in the New Testament and different things that they did. So the apostles functioned as prophets. They had that gift. But the apostle also had authority because he had been sent by Jesus. And he himself could show up and say, I am Jesus' emissary. This is what we're going to do. He had a an authority invested in him. He had a different office, a different position that came with that authority, but it sometimes functioned as prophecy. It often perhaps functioned as prophecy where the, the apostle would speak from God and give revelation on his behalf. But these that he's talking about, these prophets, they are to exercise their gifts in accordance with the portion of their faith according to their faith. And I think what that means can be uh, spelled out for us. If you remember when we went through the book of Acts several years ago, or if you have read through the book of Acts recently, you remember this one prophet named Agabus. And Agabus occurs two different times in the book of Acts. Chapter 11 and chapter 21, we see Agabus show up. And Agabus was a prophet. He was not one of the apostles. He didn't write anything. He, he wasn't one of them, but he was a prophet. And Agabus... In chapter 11, he gives a prophecy that there's going to be a great famine in the land. And so the church at Antioch gathers together a bunch of money and supplies, and they send that money down to the, to the, the Christians there in Judea to supply their need because Agabus the prophet had said there's going to be a famine. Well, later on in chapter 21, if you remember, Paul was traveling headed towards Jerusalem, and, and in the course of the book of Acts, we know that he was heading towards his arrest. Well, as he was on his way there, Agabus stood up and, and, and gives this demonstration, illustration to say, this man, Paul, is going to be bound and he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles when he gets to Jerusalem. He was giving a prophecy about what was going to happen. Agabus was a prophet. But Agabus wasn't Paul. And Agabus wasn't an apostle. Agabus appears two times in Scripture. And he gives these two prophecies that were timely, and they were true, 
And they were helpful, and they were limited. They were limited in scope, and I think that's the concept of the prophet that he's talking about here. This is someone who would give revelation from God in a limited uh, sphere, in a limited scope. And this person, the exhortation Paul is giving is, God has given you the gift of prophecy. Exercise it in your lane. Don't imagine that because you have this gift of prophecy, you are now an apostle. And you're going to start writing, you know, your own epistle to the Romans. Your own epistle to the Corinthians. Now, God has given you this gift, and you are to exercise it to the fullest in the lane God has given you. Exercise that gift. Now, we at Parkside teach that the revelatory gifts have ceased when the mission of the apostles was completed. So that in the completion of the New Testament, we have the cessation of new revelation. That there is no more new revelation going to come. It's contained in the pages of Scripture. And so... Paul's exhortation here, where it's to revelatory prophecy, is for this time period. But we could expand it a little bit beyond and, and, and bring that to any of us who is a teacher. He's going to talk to teachers later. But the teachers are to teach in their lane. They're to exercise the authority God has given in them within the sphere of the authority God has given them. The fact that we three elders are elders at this church doesn't mean much at the church next door. We don't get to go and, and become popes somewhere because we have the authority that God has given us here. And so I think the point is we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. God has gifted us. He has given, for example, the elders leadership at Parkside and nowhere else. And nowhere else. More than that, He has given us leadership under His Word at Parkside. He has given us leadership within a limited sphere with restrictions. We don't get to be popes because we have become elders. And so he tells the prophets, in your prophesying, you are to exercise that gift of prophecy in proportion to your faith. I think what that means is in the lane God has given you. Agabus stood up two different times that we read about in Scripture and very boldly said bold things. Prophecies from God. And then he sat down, and Paul carried the ball. He exercised that gift in the lane God had given him, in the sphere God had given him. And Paul continues, and he says, If service in our serving... Do you know service is a spiritual gift? That there are, there are those... Each of us should serve one another, by the way. But there are those who have a gift of service where... They see that need, and they're compelled to step in and meet that need. And they love to do it. They find it rewarding. They are, they are gifted at doing it. They do it well. That is a gift from God. So that other people can come in and serve, and we should serve one another. But it may not, you know, I, I may not always see those areas where I need to serve. I, I may not be as efficient at it when I do it. And it may not come off quite to the same success as those who are gifted with service, but it is a spiritual gift. It's not as if it's, it's an entry-level position where you show up at church and you just want to serve and that's what you're going to do, and then when you learn some things, you'll move beyond service. No, it's itself its own gifting. It's a spiritual gift that God has gifted some people with. And 
And we praise God for our deacons, for one, and many others uh, in our midst who serve. They see needs and they go meet them. And they're good at doing so. And they gather people with them to go meet these needs that we have we have needs met at Parkside because of those who are gifted with service. And they should serve. They should serve. The same thing with the teachers. The one who teaches is to serve or is to uh, act according to his faith. He's to exercise his faith in his, in his teaching. A teacher should, should teach. And that should be his main focus of his ministry. Someone who's gifted in that way ought to teach in that way. And, and uh, Paul, in writing to actually First and Second Timothy and Titus, what we call the pastoral epistles, if you'll read through there, you'll notice how often he talks about teaching. It's an important aspect. That Paul actually says this in Romans chapter 12 and chapters 1 through 11. What did he do? He taught. He was teaching. The teaching is the foundation for the things that we do. And so a teacher is to exercise his gift in teaching. He's to function that way. He's to stay in his lane in that capacity. And then one who exhorts in his exhortation. What's the difference between exhortation and teaching? Well, they're very closely related, but teaching is primarily the passing of information to the understanding. Exhortation is a call to action in light of information. It's a spurring to action. And we all know those people who, you know, after, uh, you know, I, I know them. I happen to be married to one. She's not seated here today, but she's an exhorter. When I, when I explain this new thing that I learned, her first question is, so what? What do we do now? What's the action that we should be called to? That's a great idea. That's a great concept. Now what? Now what? Because she's an exhorter. She wants the action that comes as a result of that. And so if those among us who were exhorters stopped doing that and stopped asking the so what questions, well, how long would it be before uh, we would all sit around contemplating, you know, theological concepts and then and never do anything? We need exhorters who say, that's a great notion. Let's go do it. It results in life. It results in practice this way. God has gifted our elder board in this way to uh, have different uh, gifting in these ways so that uh, Woody and Chris won't let me just have ideas and then think, oh, that was a great idea. Let's go have another idea. No, it's got to be put into action. There's, there's a, a call to action. What must we do in light of what we have learned? So in short, Prophets should minister to the body by prophesying only so far as God has gifted them. Servants should minister to the body by serving. Teachers minister by teaching. And exhorters serve the body by exhorters. These are God's gifts to us. So these first few have talked about the sphere in which uh, we are to minister and exercise the gifts. The remaining ones talk about doing so in an appropriate manner. And this is interesting to me because he shifts gears and he begins to describe things a little bit differently. And I, I, I can kind of see, I think, why he does that in this passage. There's something, I think, about these last three gifts that we're going to cover very briefly that make it a temptation or a possibility that serving in this way could, could, could affect our attitude. It could eventually lose its luster. And we'll see why. He says... The one who contributes 
is to do so in generosity. What manner is he supposed to contribute? Well, with generosity. God has specially gifted. He has given a spiritual gift to some people where they want to meet financial needs. They want to give practically, physically, financially, materially of themselves, of what they have to to help meet a need. It's a spiritual gift some people have. That's the first thing they think of when they see a problem or when they see someone in need. They think, well, I could I could step in and meet that that material need, that financial need. And often God has also gifted them with the money to be able to do so generously. So why does he in, encourage people who want to give generously that they should keep their mind on giving generously? Why would they need that exhortation? Why would they need that encouragement? Well, I think because giving generously could probably get old after a while. You give generously to the church, and you are waiting for change, you're waiting for something new, you're waiting for God to do something big, so you give generously to the church, and you're waiting for God to do something big, and you give generously to the church, and after a while you think, you know, I've been giving generously for a long time, and, and, and I'm, I'm, maybe, maybe you get tired of it, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it becomes a temptation or it begins to affect your attitude and, and you begin to wrestle with, yeah, you know, I, I, keep, you know, I keep trying to serve in this way and I don't see God doing big things and, you know, maybe, maybe I should try something different. Kind of lose that zeal for giving. We, uh, we praise God that here at Parkside, even what Chris talked about earlier, that God has worked in your hearts to give generously, consistently over the decades such that we can give extra money to missionaries who are, who are otherwise hurting because of the COVID situation and churches that have been hurt financially and support that's been cut down and things like that. And God has worked in your hearts such that we can contact our missionaries and say, would you like some extra money? That's God's working in you. Praise God for that. We praise God for that. And so the exhortation here is, yes, you've been giving generously. Do so with joy, continue to give generously in a single-minded fashion, rejoicing that God uses you in this way. And he says, for those, uh, for those who uh, contribute, they are to do so generously. With the one who leads, let him do so with zeal. You know, you're leading, you're out front, you're leading. And, you know, I don't know if you realize it, but at a church, you're usually leading volunteers. Right, which is its own special brand of interesting. Because, you know, leading people at work, you can, you know, like, we pay you money here. You should, you should do what, you know, follow our leadership. But, but with volunteers, our motivation is entirely different. And, and, and when you're trying to lead and you, and you get frustrated because things aren't going the way you want to, and, and then your countenance changes and then your leading comes from, hey, let's go do it, to, come on, people, we got we to get this done. And then it goes from that to, oh, you people, we never get these things done. You see that the attitude just spirals downwards, right? What happens to your leadership effectiveness as that happens? It also spirals downward, right? No one wants to follow a leader like that, right? Leadership with zeal is a joy to follow. Man, that guy is going places. Let's get, let's get with him and let's go places with him. He is doing stuff. Look at him. He is excited. He has a zeal for what God has called him to do. I want to be involved in that. And the opposite of that is what Paul is warning against here. He says, the one who leads, let him do so with zeal. Not beat down by, you know, the task is too big, or I've been trying this for so long, or any other of the temptations 
that we have, the attitude shifts that we have. The one who leads should do so with zeal. And it's a joy to follow someone who leads with zeal. Even if you don't always understand quite why we're running this fast, but he seems really excited, so I'm going with that guy, right? The one who leads, let him do so with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There, there are those who are especially divinely, spiritually gifted by God to go to pain and minister in that pain. Some of us like to, man, that kind of hurts over there. I want to stay away from that until that ache goes away, until that pain goes away. And some people are drawn to it. And they minister in that pain. And then the next time pain comes up and they minister in that pain and they continue to do that. God has gifted people. God has given us gifts of people who rush to the pain and minister to that pain. And how many times can you do that before it begins to wear on you as the person who rushes to the pain that, well, I'm going to go to the pain, but I haven't quite recovered from the last pain. I'm still carrying the load a little bit. And you go on to the next one and and you're kind of beat down and you're facing pain and, and people whose lives are hurting and they're, 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 they're struggling and, and it's easy to be torn down yourself, to be brought down in your own attitude to, yeah, I'm going to go and minister in that context. I'm going to endure with you. And he says those who, those who, who, who perform these acts of mercy do it with cheerfulness. Do it with cheerfulness. Serve God with cheerfulness. Not allowing yourselves to be beat down by the fact that you had to run to the pain yet again. You're compelled to do so. God has gifted you to do so. Man, that's a lot of pain. So I'm going to sit right here with you and endure with you, and that's about all I have to offer. He says, no. Run there with joy, with cheerfulness. God has gifted you. God has... God has blessed you to go and be His hands and His feet and His shoulder in that context. So do it with cheerfulness and run into that pain. So to wrap up what Paul has been talking about, he's he's encouraged us that we are to think the gospel. We are to stay focused on the gospel. We are to have our minds renewed by contemplating what he has told us in the gospel. And it should have practical, it will have practical impacts in our lives, including not thinking more of ourselves than we ought to, but also not denying the gifts that God has given us. To go and function, to go and use those gifts and to do so with joy, aware that there are certain pitfalls for each gift. The person who's always running to mercy, that can weigh on you, that can put... Put lines on your, on your face that can, that can make you sad. Well, the person who's up front teaching, there's, there are pitfalls that go with that. There are pitfalls with each one of these aspects, from giving to serving. We want to be aware of those things, but we, we dare not deny them. We dare not turn away from them. God has given us these gifts so that I can serve you and so that you can serve one another. We all serve together and we're all benefited from this. So I don't want to overplay the, God's, the gifts God has given us, nor do I want to undervalue the gifts that God has given us, but serve. Serve in the, in the capacity God has given me. That's how I want to serve Him. That's how I want to serve you. I want to notice, uh, finally, that each of these gifts or forms of ministry is an act of faith. 
It's an act of faith. You can go and do each of these things. You can perform the actions. You can go and show mercy and not do so in faith. You can teach and not do so in faith. You can lead and not do so in faith. Each of these is an act of faith. It is us stepping out and not just saying, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gifted this way. I can uh, sing really well, so I'm just going to stand up and sing, and, and, and I'm just going to do that, and that is going to be a blessing to God's people. Or, I love to study, so I'm going to study, and I'm going to stand up and share with you what I've studied, and that's going to be a blessing to God's people. No, it's an act of faith. Recognizing these are gifts God has given us. To use trusting Him with the outcome. Trusting Him with the power to do so. Trusting Him that He's going to use our body, Parkside, that's built its own special way. Unlike any other church, with our own unique gifting and all of that, that God is going to do something here with the gifting that He has here. And so I'm going to step out and I'm going to... Exercise the gifts God has given me, trusting Him for the outcome. Seeking to honor Him with the way I do it. Seeking to bless God's people as I'm doing that. In Christ, God has redeemed a hopeless and helpless people from the judgment that they rightly deserve. And now, having already given them spiritual life and a certain hope for eternity, He also gives them the internal presence of His Holy Spirit. And when He does so, He also gives gifts that go along with that Holy Spirit. So that we who have been placed together in the body of Christ, placed together in this local expression of the body of Christ, have gifts where we continue the ministry that God has started. We continue that ministry with one another. Showing mercy, teaching, and correction, and provision, and help, and all the things that Christians need, He has given us to serve in that capacity. So let's serve Him by faith. Let's, let's trust Him that He's decided to use me. Okay, I'm going to step forward and trust Him and be useful to Him. Because he's the one who is ministering to his church. He is the one who says he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are the ones who have been put into those positions that he's going to use to accomplish that purpose. This is God's continuing work. His ongoing work to use those that he has saved, to minister to those whom he has saved, and bring more that he will save. And so we trust God and we step forward to act as he has called us to act in the, the ways that he has gifted us to do that. So I, I love being at Parkside. I love being with you and I love the different gifts that you all have. And I would love for us to see even an increased usage and, and service to God and service to one another in ministering the way God's designed us. Don't think that, you know, we, we've got... We've got three elders, so I guess that's all that, you know, that needs to run the church. We've got, we've got these, you know, pastors on staff, or we've got, so I'll just sit back and, and, and watch. God has gifted you and saved you, given you equipment to minister. To minister in meaningful ways that no one else around you exactly can minister.
Let's minister to one another in that way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word. You have communicated uh, truth to us. Uh, I thank you that the truth that we've looked at over these last 11 chapters of salvation in Christ is so foundational, is so revelatory, is so uh, revolutionary that you have saved sinners, that you have taken those who were your enemies, who had no hope, you have redeemed them, you have placed them in Christ, you have placed your Holy Spirit within them, you've given them gifts and placed them within a body to serve one another, to minister to one another as your ongoing ministry to us. Father, we, we desire to see you continue to minister to us through one another here at Parkside. And so we ask that you would do that. And we ask that you would remind us to step into those places that you have given us. To serve in the ways that you have, have gifted us. And we trust you for the outcome and we look forward to your work here at Parkside. We honor you. We recognize that this salvation we have is from you beginning to end and we celebrate Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm going to read a closing verse for us in a moment, and then there's going to be a family afterwards who will be up front to pray with you if you want to pray with them. That's the ministry God has given them. Let them bless you with it this morning. These words from Colossians chapter 3 are to be our encouragement as we go out. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.